We're getting stuck a little, and we need technology. We need changes in the industry. We need something to turn everything over, and so we're working to do that. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. I'm John Fiella, and I hope you've been enjoying the podcast and we'd love for you to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Today, I'm excited to share the keynote session from our recent Innovation Summit featuring Marty Sedler, Director of Global Utilities and Infrastructure at the Intel Corporation. In the session, we discuss where this global company is headed with their 2030 goals for energy savings, alternative energy, and emissions reductions, in addition to the role that new solutions and technology will play in achieving their goals. It's a tremendously insightful episode, so it's without further ado, here it is. Marty, welcome to the Innovation Summit. Thanks very much for being here. Maybe the best place to start is to have you give us a description of your role today and maybe an overview of the scope of Intel's operations globally. Thanks, John. I really appreciate the invitation to speak here. I do also want to be transparent to the group that I probably have more questions than I do answers. This subject, if anybody had the answers, they'd be a trillionaire and they'd be on the beach somewhere drinking Mai Tais, right? So I can give you opinions, I can give you what I've got, and, and we can go from there. I've been doing this for about 40 years in the utility industry, about 26 years at Intel. And again, you know, anybody who tells you that they have the answer to this, which you may hear, they're not telling the truth. So be careful with what you get. Our scope at Intel is that we manage all of the utility supplies globally across factories, labs, data centers, offices, doesn't matter, anywhere in the world. We have facilities in the United States, the Middle East, Europe, and of course, across Asia. And our job is to deliver a reliable source of, of power or whatever the utility is at the lowest cost, with the best quality, et cetera. Since greener things, renewables, et cetera, are just really a substitute for supply, we end up owning all that sustainability part, even though we're not a group of sustainability. So we own all those renewable projects, either on-site or off-site or any alternative supply that's being delivered. We're also engaged in the policy piece on how it affects the utilities, RPSs, market transitions, smart grid, et cetera, because again, it affects our, our ability to deliver. Great. Well, when we're able to travel, I know you're a globetrotter and you've got things going on all over the world. In Intel has had some pretty ambitious goals, sustainability goals tied to 2020. And I know the results have been very impressive. And I believe they focus on energy savings alternative energy deployment and emission reductions. Why don't you give us a sense for kind of how, how things have fared against those 2020 goals and maybe cite one or two things that you're most proud of? I think I'm going to change your semantic real quickly. 
because truthfully, what I'm proud of is my, my wife, my family, and my team who day-to-day -day delivers incredible results. So I think I'm going to go more to what am I excited about. And I guess I'm excited about our successes to date. We've uh -huh. been able to deliver over, right now, we're buying over 7 billion kilowatt hours a year of green power. And almost 82% of our global supply is from renewable sources, which to me is, is a tremendous accomplishment. But we're not there yet. And we're obviously still targeting that 100%. In Malaysia, we just became the first multinational to be 100% green. We had to create a new mechanism with the government in order to satisfy our needs. And so we were able to get there. We've accomplished over 100, about 106 on-site renewable greener projects around the globe, 65 buildings, 22 different technologies or technology applications. And as you well know, we've we delivered over 4 billion kilowatt hours of conservation to our facilities since our baseline. And we're resetting all those things as we speak. When you talk about what really kind of makes me smile, I guess would be the way to put it, it's really the physical projects. I really enjoy walking into the office when we walked into the office, if anybody remembers that, and, and looking at 4,000 parking spots covered with solar and being the largest solar, private solar in the state in a couple of our locations. And knowing that we just gave shade to 110 degree temperatures in Arizona to our people, and all of the power from that facility is delivered directly to our buildings. We don't host facilities. Mm -hmm. When we generate power, we take it to our building because we think that's the most efficient way to do it. We're not there to be a, a land leaseor. So those are the ones that really probably make me, make me smile. And, you know, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it. And so it's real versus the other things which are all good, but they're more esoteric and, and paper oriented and deal oriented. You certainly have a lot to be uh, proud of and congratulations on those results. Thank you. I know that the nature of the company is you're constantly setting the bar higher. Your 2030 goals are even more ambitious. Tell us a little bit about kind of where you're headed with your 2030 goals as it relates to those three areas, energy savings, alternative energy, and emissions reduction. So I guess I would start by saying they all go together, right? The whole purpose there is to be more efficient, save money, reduce carbon, and they're all pathways to get to that final result. So it's kind of, in this case, a three-legged stool. Mm -hmm. And if you take away one of them, you might be able to balance for a while, but eventually you're going to fail and fall. So we really do hit all of them. As you well know, conservation, if you, can, if you could reduce your usage to zero, you wouldn't care about renewables. You would have no load. So you really do want to chip away and, and take each one of those. Right now, we're on the plane. We know where we want to go. We're on a long, long, long flight, and we just want to land it. And so we're trying to do that. On the renewables, we have committed. We just set our 2030 goals. We are committed to be 100% green by 2030. And as I said earlier, we are currently about 81 82%. But as anybody who's in this business knows, the best fruit is at the top. And it's also the most expensive and the most difficult to get. So the stuff at the beginning was faster, cheaper, easier. Now the challenges are really hitting. And so we're looking at how do we do that. And I know that we'll probably talk about it, but we're getting stuck a little. And we need technology. We need changes in the industry. 
We need something to turn everything over. And so we're working to do that. I can get into a little bit of what that is, but you know, we all know storage, storage is a silver bullet. And again, we can talk about that a little bit more. I think that, that what we're looking at is, is one of our toughest problems is, so far we've been able to do things like buy solar offsite and buy five times our peak load and take those renewable energy credits and use them during the other hours of the day. And all those things work at the lower levels. But the bigger you get, pretty soon, you can't overgenerate anymore. And so that's the inflection point that says, I need storage, or I need a totally new technology that runs 24 hours a day, or, or, or. And so that's going to be the challenge, I think, that, that we're getting into. I guess the other thing, and I guess I'm, I'm extrapolating things and going a little further, but if you look at our facilities, most of our big factories are somewhere between 20 and $30 billion on one site. And so we can't afford to have them not operating. So we cannot afford to have reliability issues. So there's trade-offs, and I think you're probably going to go deeper into that, so I'll hold off. But again, it's, it's, it's balancing everything together. You know, it's interesting. You alluded to the fact that as you go further and further in the journey, it, it becomes more and more difficult. You referenced that you think storage is going to be important for the future. What else do you think is going to be key and, and important for you to be able to reach those 2030 goals? Well, like I said, I think it's going to end up being technology, politics, customers, utilities. It's going to take everybody to get together. But I mean, there's locations that we have where there's no credible way to buy green power, right. where there is no green power. So we're going to have to look at enabling an entire ecosystem and figuring out what can we do in that location. Again, as I started to talk about, as the amounts grow, and I don't know what the, the magic inflection point is, 50%, 60%, 70%, unless you can inject into a storage and then take it out of the storage during the off-peak time, you're going to still be on fossil fuel at night. And you're going to be over-generating during the day. You can't do that for very long. So we're going to need technology to come along, whether it's a storage or a new way to generate that runs 24 hours a day. An example might be fuel cell. If you can use biogas for fuel cell, you can make it green. Right now, biogas is, is three, four, five times the price of gas. So it's difficult to afford it, but it's a baseload resource. They might include nuclear, they might not. So we really do have to figure out how do we get the power during the off-peak times or during the off-hours. And then again, the power system can't continue. Well, I guess it can. We don't want it to continue to have to build twice what it needs just in case the sun doesn't shine, just in case the turbines go off. Texas is a perfect example. Just in case the wind stops blowing. If you have to build fossil fuel to back it up, you're paying twice, you're not using those assets, super expensive, and then you're still using fossil fuels to run. Lots and lots of challenges, and those challenges magnify the higher you go up on the curve. They're easy at the beginning, they get harder and harder. Again, that's going to be the brilliance of, of everybody who's in this, who's listening to this, plus a lot more. Yeah. You mentioned the challenges of getting renewable in certain renewables in certain areas in certain markets. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about one of your most recent projects. You recently announced a renewable energy deal in Oregon. 
you've been trying to get renewables in Oregon for quite some time. Tell us a little bit how, about how you overcame the hurdles and kind of made things happen there. So we're a little bit unique compared to a lot of companies in that almost all of our electricity supply is from a monopoly sources or places where we can't go and buy directly from a third party. And so we have to work with our utilities in order to enable things. And sometimes they aren't quite willing to give up revenue or give up things. So we actually in Oregon did come up with something with the utility about four years ago. And about a week before it was going for approval in front of the commission, it was torpedoed by a couple of people in the public and a few others who jumped out and we had to withdraw it. So we had a choice, give up or reinvent ourselves. And we chose to reinvent ourselves. And so we worked with the utility very, very closely and created a, you can call it a green tariff, you can call it you know, a bypass, you can call it whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But ultimately what we did is enabled that we could go out and identify a solar project or a project, negotiate it, get it together, bring it to them. They'll contract it on our behalf. They'll take the energy and then deliver it to us through them, keeping their revenue streams, keeping their costs. We get the attributes and we get equal amounts of energy to it delivered. And of course, it's on their system. And then they got that mechanism approved and then they're enabled to do it to more than just us. So together with their help and their leadership, we were able to put something in place that not only helped Intel, but now we're enabling many others to do the same thing. Now we're working on some of the costing of it, but it enabled really their first projects and our first, it was 138 megawatt solar, helping the economy in in Oregon, helping the green in Oregon, helping meet the state goals, the utility goals, our goals, jobs creation. So win, 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 wins all the way around. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't say that we did something similar to that in Arizona and we were able to put 100 megawatts there. So now we're taking those those ideas and trying to enhance them, improve them, make them more economical and even better so that everybody can join in and we can grow the portfolio. That's great, Marty. Congratulations on that. I really, I like the leadership role that Intel played in saying, hey, let's figure out a way to make this happen to everyone's advantage. And we often talk about how customers, utilities, and suppliers need to work in partnership to navigate the energy transition. And I can't think of a better example. It's good to hear you're doing more of it. And I think it's an example of a model that others at the Innovation Summit can deploy themselves. Well, one of the things, John, that just to add on was we and others were creating special deals and things that weren't applicable to anybody else. So they'd go, we'd create something, the utility would do it, and then no one else could replicate it or use it. Mm -hmm. And great, I can go and get a PR statement out of it, and I can get an article, but we really didn't enable the market. We didn't enable anybody else, so we changed our philosophy and started saying, look, what we want to do is whatever we do, it should be applicable and be able to be applied to much more than us. Now, in all fairness, we want the PR, we want the branding, so sure, we wanted to go first, and we wanted to be able to do big, whereas maybe everybody else could only do 10 megawatts, and we did 138 or 100. But we absolutely are looking for what mechanisms can see the growth and the ability to do much, much more. If it's a one-off, it actually hurts the market more than helps it. 
Because we go into some locations and they'd say, oh, well, why don't you just do this because we did this with someone else? And we said, well, it doesn't work. And they go, well, they did it. <laughs> and we said, we can't afford it. Right. So it, it actually was an inhibitor more than an enabler. Yeah, and that's a tricky thing to do. You reference technology as a key factor in you being able to achieve your 2030 goals. You're approached all the time, I would imagine, by suppliers with a new technology, a new approach that they'd like Intel to consider. Tell us about your philosophy for evaluating and adopting new energy-related technologies. It's an evolving concept, right? It changes day to day. We honestly believe, and maybe we're biased because we are a technology company and we make products, but we believe that if everything is either going to fail or succeed by, by technology, we're going to reach inhibitors, as we talked about. It's either going to make or break everybody's progress on this, period. That's just the bottom line. And it's really the elephant in the room because we all want to get to a certain place and we all have these goals, but we all know that, that you can't reach it unless things change. And the way things are either going to change is, is going to be inventing something or new systems, smart grids, managing the technology, new technology, storage. You know, we can go down the list, but, and then making them economic and getting them in mass production and cheaper. That's the only way it's going to succeed. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, we have uh, 106 on-site projects using 22 mm -hmm. different technologies. We like to test things for fun. And sometimes they aren't going to make sense. So, you know, one that's kind of fun is in India, when you walk into our lobby of the building, you're walking on kinetic tile. And those tile will produce a little bit of electricity that generates lobby energy. And it isn't efficient yet. There's a long payback. Right. And it doesn't generate a ton. But we wanted to test it. We wanted to see, hey, is this something that if you put this kind of tile throughout a building, throughout an office, in an airport, would it start to, to help? And so we're always looking for those kind of technologies along with everything else. We also realize that we need cost-effective, reliable energy. That's the bottom line, right? If it's not reliable, if it's not high quality, it's not going to work. We cannot have outages going into the system. And so one of our worries is, is, and we've seen it, is we're building audacious and fantastic goals. And people are saying, you know, we're going to be 100% net zero by 2030, yet we don't have the mechanisms to get there yet. And when I say that, some companies have mechanisms to get there, and they're doing it. And some are actually there, but they've spent tremendous effort, money, et cetera. And it, it can't be done on a wide scale basis because you run out of the assets, you run out of what they're doing. So Again, technology is the only thing that's going to allow the mass production, the mass layout of all of this that's going to happen. And so we want to be really careful with it. On the Intel side, we are who we are, and we're trying to sell products into it. We would tell you that if it's smart, if it's connected, it's best on Intel. So keep looking out for us, and we'd love to, to be part of, that, part of that evolution that's going out there, although there are hundreds of companies that are going to have to, to bring, bring those evolutions. That's great. And you do have a very unique perspective as both a provider of technology and a buyer of technology. One of the things that, you know, you and I have talked about on occasion is the grid and how the grid has to evolve in order to help 
companies like Intel accomplish their goals in the transition. You've got tremendous increased deployment of renewables, tremendous increased deployment of DERs. It's changing the requirements of the of the grid, and the grid needs to evolve from what it was originally intended to do to what we need it to become. What are your thoughts on what it's going to take to, in fact, transition the grid to accomplish that? Well, I mean, I'm going to repeat myself, but truthfully, if I knew, we wouldn't be talking. I'd be drinking that Mai Tai right now. You so, like Mai Tais. I do like Mai Tais. I, and I like where they're served, by the way, usually. So I don't believe we have the answer. We have the goal, and there's lots of answers, but we're looking for solutions. And again, the elephant in the room, the problem is we're, we're talking about getting there, and people just want to try things. And the fear that I have is this isn't something we can experiment with. We can't afford to have outages and disturbances. We can't afford to put people in jeopardy and people's lives in jeopardy if it's, if it's something where we lose power and you have cold spells and things like we did in Texas. So we got to get it right. We can do a little bit of testing and stuff, but, but it's got to be done right. So setting the goals is great, but we need to deliver. And I think one of the problems I, I continually see is we have lots of people engaged, smart people, brilliant people, but everybody's got a little different agenda. Some people want to make money. Some people want to get carbon. Some people, you know, want to get a technology. Some people want to get the branding. Some people want to get, and it's all kinds of, of drivers. And we really do need to come together. If we're going to succeed, we got to figure out what is the ultimate answer, the solution, and then all work together to get that solution. Because I find that often we're on opposing sides, yet we're trying to all win the same game. Man, you hit it on the head. You've got these competing forces. You've got utilities, you've got customers, you've got regulators, and everyone's got a different point of view in, in who, who ultimately has to take responsibility to, to get this done. Or is it a forever war and battle of competing interests? If we continue down this path, we're going to take longer and we have a good chance of failure. We've got to quit battling each other. We've got to quit having regulators versus utilities versus customers versus financiers versus developers. I've got one location where the developers are fighting us on something because what we want to do, they wouldn't get to build their plant. So they're fighting us, and yet it enables the market. So these, these individual agendas are, are really playing against this whole thing. So the easy answer to your question is, who has the responsibility of those people? Yes. <laughs> I mean, the easy answer is everybody needs to play, right? We yeah. need technology. We need finance, right? Someone's got to pay for this stuff. Right. We need the suppliers to come in. We need new R&D. We need political alignment. We need the customers. Ultimately, the utilities are, unless we change everything, the utilities are going to have to be the enablers, the implementers, the operators of a lot of this, the integrator. Then we're going to have people running plants. They're going to have to be on the outside. So, I mean, we're talking about dozens of people who have slightly different agendas. And that is, is, is something that's going to slow us down. The more that we can align, at least what I have always found, is on any team, the more you align, the faster you come to resolution, the better the success. Everybody wins because now you're not having winners and losers as much. To me, that is going to be one of the biggest challenges is actually getting everybody 
in the same place. And that includes, by the way, the, the governments. I mean, we've, mm-hmm. seen, we've seen a flip in, in government, and I'm not going to, nothing political here, but you see a completely different view in the political environment at the federal government. Mm-hmm. So what happens four years from now if it flips back? Does everything go, to, go away? We can't have this, this complete change in philosophies all the time. We need to, to put a stake in the sand whatever that is, and I'm not even going to say what it is, and drive towards that together. Amen. That's what it's going to take. And we're committed at Smart Energy Decisions to doing whatever we can to help facilitate that collaborative point of view and and process in the journey. Marty, I'd love to go on for you with hours. We've kind of run out of time. Thanks very much for agreeing to be our opening keynote speaker at the Innovation Summit. Thanks for your participation on our advisory board. We really appreciate you. I do want to close with one sentence, and that is that we're stuck on things like renewables and concepts. We need to bring this back to carbon. Renewables are a method to get carbon reduction. They are not the end state. They are just a fantastic method to get there. And I think we need to kind of change our mindset a little bit. Thanks, Marty. Thanks, Marty, for your insights. We look forward to watching you reach your goals in the next decade. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for listening to the podcast and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, click on the link in the show notes for more information. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition like Marty in this podcast, on our website and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.